Hey everybody, you're listening to the Clearer Thinking Podcast from Grace Valley Church in Dundas. I'm your host, Paul Vandenbrink, the lead pastor of Grace Valley Church. Thanks for listening. The problem of suffering. That's what we're going to talk about in today's episode, friends. Now, when you study the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis, you cannot help but notice the fact that Joseph experienced a ton of suffering in his life. I mean, he was hated by his 10 brothers while he was growing up. He was the favorite youngest son, which probably meant that his older brothers picked on him relentlessly. After they sold him, he he was sold to slave traders who brought him to Egypt where he lived as a slave in Potiphar's house. Then he gets falsely accused of sexually assaulting Potiphar's wife, so he gets thrown in jail. He spends maybe up to two decades in that jail, thinking that he's totally forgotten by God and everybody else. Now, it's true that Joseph does finally get out of prison, and he rose through society to become the prime minister, but come on, he went through the ringer before any of that happened. And it begs the question, Why does God let all this suffering happen to us? It's a natural question that we should not shy away from. The Bible doesn't, and neither should we. What I want to do is talk about three things related to suffering that I didn't get to in Sunday's message because I think they are important for us to remember when we try to process our own suffering or the suffering of people we know. So let's get to it. The first thing we need to realize, friends, is just how much our cultural moment informs how we think about suffering. This might be tough for us to hear, but it is really, really important. The truth is, the problem of evil and suffering was hardly ever talked about or written about by the church for the first 1900 years of its existence. I don't mean that they didn't think about suffering. Of course they did. They had a lot of reasons to. But if you go back through the history of the church, you discover that the vast majority of attention was given to how to handle suffering, not trying to figure out why suffering happens. Remember what Nietzsche said? To live is to suffer. Well, (laughs) past generations knew that. They believed that. They assumed that. And therefore, they weren't so much challenged in their belief in a good God in the face of suffering. This is a uniquely modern problem. We live in an era where we have come to believe that suffering should be avoidable, and if we do suffer, someone should be culpable. And the reason is that we think, as a culture anyway, that the meaning of life is to pursue happiness, That's the highest goal of life, according to our secular culture. Therefore, anything that stands in the way of that life goal, happiness, is to be avoided at all costs. Past generations, maybe many traditional cultures today as well, do not share that view of the meaning of life. They could see meaning as any number of things, depending on the culture and religion that they come from, but to think that personal happiness was the end goal of life on this earth, that was not on the table at all. And so suffering to them could actually help them reach their life goal, not be an obstacle to it. 
This is no small thing. You know, I've spoken with missionaries who work in developing countries where people have a different worldview than our modern Western one. And they have told me that people don't complain about suffering the way we do. They don't have a crisis of faith over suffering the way we sometimes do. In fact, their suffering does the exact opposite. It drives them deeper into their faith. It drives them deeper into God. One of Jessica's favorite authors is a woman named Elizabeth Elliot. Some of you may have heard of her and know a little bit of her life story. She suffered a ton. She was married three times, deeply in love with each of those husbands, but they all died before she did. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. But one thing she says is that suffering is like the sun beating down on you. Now, when the sun beats down on clay, it makes the clay harder. But when the sun beats down on wax, it makes the wax softer. We don't have a choice about whether the sun will beat down on us, but we do have a choice about whether we will be wax or be clay. Look, one of the hardest questions we have to ask ourselves when it comes to the issue of suffering is, why does it drive some people away from God while it drives others closer to him? Why does it turn some people bitter and angry and hard while other, become, other people become more gentle, empathic, and compassionate? And the answer is the worldview you are working from determines how you will interpret the suffering you face. It makes all the difference in the world. Well, What's the Bible's worldview about suffering? We already looked at a big part of it on Sunday, but there's something I left out. In Genesis 50, when Joseph is explaining to his brothers why God allowed him to get sold into Egypt and all that stuff, he says this in verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now, we talked about God intending it for good on Sunday and what that all entails, so I won't revisit that. But the last part of the verse is huge for understanding suffering. Joseph says, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What Joseph is telling his brothers is this. God's purposes are bigger than his purposes for us as individuals. Or put it another way, we fit into God's plan. He does not fit into ours. See, God rescued Joseph from the pit and then the prison, and that's great. But why did he do that? Was it just for Joseph? No, at least not ultimately. It was for his plan. God had a whole nation he was saving because his plan was to send a savior for the whole world through that nation. Joseph's suffering was part of God's cosmic plan for the entire nation of Israel and eventually for the whole world. And this again is an important corrective to our modern worldview, which is largely individualistic. It it looks at life as being about me and history is just about me and my individual needs. 
our suffering, Scripture teaches, is not just part of God's plan for us, as though it's primarily for our benefit. Rather, it's for His glory, accomplishing His ultimate plan for the universe. Now, I admit, it might be hard for you to see how how in the world is your hardship part of God's master plan to glorify himself in saving the world? But hear me out on this. I think that this actually resonates with some of our deepest longings. See, we want the good that comes from our suffering to be for something bigger than just us. Let me give you an example. Think about the group MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. This is a volunteer-driven organization whose mission is, and I quote, to stop impaired driving and to support victims of this violent crime, end quote. The members of that group have all suffered terrible loss because caused by impaired driving, and they do not want their loved ones to have died in vain. And so they campaign to raise awareness, to change laws, to provide counseling for victims. All this benefits society at large, not just those touched by this tragedy themselves. It's for the benefit of the entire society. Well, God's plan is to somehow use our suffering to accomplish his master plan. We sang about it in that Getty song on Sunday. I forget the title of it, but the words are beautiful. They go like this, quote, each strand of sorrow has a place within this tapestry of grace. So through the trials, I choose to say your perfect will in your perfect way. Okay, now I hope that helps all of us who face seasons of suffering or traumatic events that cause us to suffer. I hope that grants us a measure of comfort. But there's one more nagging question that we should at least try to tackle. What about suffering that seems to have no purpose to it? It looks like there's nothing redemptive in it. Think, for example, of someone who starts out young with a promising life. They're talented, they're smart, They look like they're going somewhere. A happy, prosperous life lies on the horizon for them. But along the way, something happens. One example of this that's common, actually, is mental illness. Maybe you know people who were struck with it, perhaps in early adulthood. Or it could be a physical illness. A a diagnosis comes back and their lives are permanently altered because of it. And not for the better. All that potential seems to be lost. They can't function the same way. And from one perspective, you could think, what a tragic waste of a life. On the face of it, it just seems so hopeless. It literally looks like life sucks and then you die. Well, I know of no other worldview that can even begin to address this most difficult of questions. And Christianity's answer is multifaceted and, and it may not be entirely satisfying in this life, but at least it has something to say. In Romans 8 verse 18, Paul says this, 
I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. See, suffering is a test of our faith and that we are forced to wrestle with whether we really believe that there is an afterlife of pure bliss that we will one day enjoy. That's basically what Paul is saying. He's saying, suffering is not the last word. The last word is glory. And we're told that when the glory comes down on us, the freedom and glory of the children of God, it will be so explosive that it will envelop the entire created order and it will heal the entire world, nature of everything that's wrong with it. We will bring the world with us. Our glorification will be that incredible. Friends, this is beyond anything you have ever wanted because it's way beyond the greatest thing you could ever imagine for yourself. You have no idea how happy you're going to be. You have no idea how beautiful you're going to be. You can't imagine. You can't ever get near it. It's guaranteed, though. It's automatic. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. But, You have to consider it. That's what Paul does. He considers it. He compares it to what he sees in himself and in others in the here and now. Like Teresa of Avia, a 16th century nun who suffered terribly put it, she said this, quote, in light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth, a life full of the most atrocious tortures on earth will be seen to be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. Those are unbelievable words. But if the gospel is right, then it's true. Or let me put it this way. If the gospel is true, then it's right. Billions upon billions of years compared to even a multi-decade experience of suffering in this world makes our suffering now like a pinprick in comparison. But you have to consider that. Do you do that? Do you bring the future to bear on the presence? That's what Paul is calling us to do. That's why it's a test of our faith. But you know, when we pull the future into our present, it empowers us. It enables us to endure suffering now because we know that our suffering is not the last word. Glory is the last word for all who trust in Jesus. Well, friends, there's a lot more that I could say, but I don't want to give away the store in one podcast, so I'm going to stop there. I hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.